Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kids Under Construction. I'm Donna Tatro. Today, we are talking to Nicole Whiteman. She is the Chief Executive Officer of the Los Angeles Dodgers Foundation, where she leads the team's charitable arm. Under her leadership, the foundation launched RBI, Reviving Baseball in Inner Cities, serving over 11,000 kids. 51 dream fields have been completed for kids to play ball on and bring communities together. She also sits on the board of the Positive Coaching Alliance, one of her many other hats. Nicole, welcome and thank you so much for being here. So Nicole, you have quite a backstory. Can you start at the beginning? It's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I actually had a, a very um, unique path to being the CEO of the Dodgers Foundation. I grew up in New York City. I went to high school in Connecticut, college in Atlanta. My major was economics and I had a man minor in management and organization. And my dream job was really in investment banking. I did get a full-time job upon graduation. I got to go back to New York City, um, sort of realize that dream. But I would say within probably about a year's time, I realized um, it wasn't necessarily everything I had chalked it up to be or thought it would be. There were some missing elements. It was a creative side that I wasn't utilizing at the time. In addition to that, I felt like something was missing. I really felt like something was missing. And I had been volunteering for a lot of different organizations that benefited me as a child. A lot of nonprofits doing excellent works, particularly in the area of college access and success. And I slowly but surely was like, I got to change careers. And in New York, the big city that it is, I did some serious networking. And I ended up transitioning into publishing. And I worked for two magazines in the sponsorship and advertising space for a total of about six years. With one of those magazines, I relocated to LA, uh, thinking I would be here for a short period of time, like two years. And 20 years <laughs> later, I haven't left. <laughs> and and I, I, I met the president and CEO of the Jackie Robinson Foundation at a conference. And she asked to me, hey, we're opening up a Los Angeles office to supplement our New York office. And we would love for you to come and help, help us do that. Um, be a leader and help us get this thing off the ground. I had received a Jackie Robinson scholarship when I was in college. And so obviously the opportunity to work every day and tell my story, how much more rewarding could that be? And in the vein of Jackie Robinson's legacy. So I quickly sort of signed on to, to do that. And that was the beginning of my nonprofit management career. I tell people that's where I gained my doctoral degree in nonprofit management on the job for six years with the Jackie Robinson Foundation. No better place to, 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 to earn that, if, if I could say. Just a wonderful organization, again, perpetuating the legacy of Jackie Robinson with his wife, Rachel Robinson, at the helm. And while working there, you know, I got an itch and a recruiter called me. I ended up working for LA's Promise, a public school reform organization on the ground here in LA. After that, I worked for College Summit and I was the executive director of the San Francisco and the Los Angeles office. And while I was there, the Dodgers actually called me and I was actually assisting at the time sort of um, voluntarily consulting on a uh, event that they were going to use to sort of launch the Dodgers Foundation under the new ownership group. And in the middle of all those conversations, um, I was asked why I didn't apply to be the executive director of the foundation. And to be totally honest, I wasn't aware that the position was open at the time. Okay. Um, but in a very short period of time after that question was asked, I was offered the job. I, you know, quickly went through interviews with Mark Walter and Magic Johnson. I say what I thought was my dream job was my dream job. This is my dream job. You know, I started out as executive director and in 2000, January of 2019, I was named chief executive officer. So I've been here almost seven years now, really running the official charity of the Los Angeles Dodgers doesn't 
get any better than that. It sounds like it doesn't. That's for sure. It sounds like a beautiful path. I mean, what was it like in that interview room with Magic Johnson? Pretty amazing. I actually interviewed in his office at Dodger Stadium. I tell people right now today, it's still amazing to walk into Dodger Stadium to work, right? Like you have to look up, you almost have to stop and you feel like sometimes just even so emotional. Like, is this where I'm coming to work every day? This is where my office is. So for me, walking into that interview, of course, um, I was overwhelmed with that feeling of just, am I going in here for an interview with Magic Johnson? Like the (laughs) the legend Magic Johnson at the legendary Dodger Stadium. So it was pretty darn amazing. He is such a great individual leader and motivator. So you can imagine like in the interview, I think he just had so many inspirational um, things to say. He's a visionary. So he had a lot of I would say, uh, possibilities for what he thought I could do with the foundation. So I felt like it was conversational and it was really nice, but definitely overwhelming by far. I know that this is important to you because sports is significant in your life. I mean, this all kind of clicks together for you. Talk about your sports path and also how you have your two boys who are very athletic. Yeah, surrounds me everywhere, everywhere. So I um, I am the first girl in my family, but I have an older brother. And I, I just know that from birth, I was chasing my older brother and my dad around who were sports gurus. Uh, my brother played several sports. Um, my dad also played several sports. His primary sport was soccer. Um, my family's from Jamaica, and so that was a really big deal. We call it football. And so we all played football. Um, and it was the reason why I actually went to, um, Canterbury school in Connecticut for high school. I went to a private boarding school at the age of 14, um, because it was a better opportunity for me academically, but because I was going to get a rigorous sports program. And so I had the opportunity for four years to play, um, some pretty intense soccer, um, and get an amazing academic experience at a high school, um, maybe two hours away from home in New York city. Um, I know that soccer and just sport in general, I did play softball and basketball as well, um, instilled in me a certain level of leadership, um, a certain level of teamwork, um, and the opportunity to see what it and feel what it's like to win and lose. Um, And I feel like I got that pretty early on. So I'm glad I play. I've been playing sports for, you know, since I was little because it, it, it has done a lot for me. Um, I married a man who played college basketball, so you can imagine he was a sports uh, guru himself. Yeah. Uh, Very much into several um, sports, and um, we have two sons. And so we never pushed them and said, you are forced to do this. But what we agreed to do was take them to the first of everything and see what stuck. Um, Unfortunately for us, or fortunately, everything sticks. Um, We always say... (laughs) We sort of gave birth to athletes who want to try everything, who want to be engaged in everything, who absolutely love sports. Um, it's interesting because my high school uh, sophomore right now, he is a uh, baseball player as well as a basketball player. Um, and for him, it was tough because when he started out as a freshman, you know, he couldn't play three sports anymore every single year. Um, the schedule just doesn't call for it. It doesn't work that way. But my youngest is still playing multiple sports, um, three at a minimum per year. He golfs on the side with my husband um, and they truly love it. And I can see what it's done for them and what it does for them. Um, The schedule is completely insane. Um, (laughs) 
but I wouldn't have it any other way because I think that balance between their academic life and family fun time and sports, it sort of makes them who they are. I really love that. It just makes me think about a conversation I was having with my little son, Asher, who's 11 years old. We were on a walk just recently and he said, you know, I have to tell you something. And I said, what? And he said, you might be mad at me. And I said, well, what? And he said, you know, I have to say, I like baseball better than school. It's, it's just my passion. <laughs> and I said, hey, Ash, that's okay. You can like baseball better than school. As long as you do well in school and try your best, you've got to do what's good for you. Baseball's a great thing. That's great. But yeah. it's, it's so interesting how it's really a part of their lives, these young kids and adults as well. And that leads me to speaking to you about the Dodgers Foundation and how you're bringing this ability for all kids to play sports. Talk about that. I obviously have seen the privilege that my kids have in being able to participate in sport, but we all know that um, the youth sports industry is a billion dollars plus industry and that it can be tough for entry for families who can't engage because of economic reasons and because they simply just can't pay for it. And so the Dodgers Foundation's mission is that every um, child, regardless of neighborhood or zip code, should have the opportunity to thrive. And our goal is to ensure that regardless of you know, what your status is, we can impact you and provide you with resources that could help you ultimately you know, become who you want to be and do what you want to do. And so for us, um, barriers to sport is high on the list of things that we um, are tackling. And so we launched a program called Dodgers RBI in 2013, 2014, excuse me, this is our seventh season now, really focused on how um, youth in the inner cities, in underserved communities, in very challenged neighborhoods throughout LA, um, could essentially play the game um, at no cost with us providing all of the resources, meaning all of the equipment, all of the uniforms, but also using sport as a hook as a way to not just increase participation numbers for youth who are playing baseball, but as a place where we can provide education, resources, college tours, college workshops, financial literacy, um, reading challenges, recycling challenges, a place where we could also provide health resources, so dental screenings and eye screenings um, and, and blood pressure tests and all of those things that um, unfortunately run rampant in some of our low-income neighborhoods, um, but because a lot of people don't have testing or they don't have, ins they don't have insurance or they don't have um, the right amount of money or access to the right doctors and things of that nature. And so whether you're um, you know, scared to go to the doctor because of your status or things of that nature, we've made it where we're providing a, a ton of education and health resources directly to our families and bringing it to communities um, where they can easily get it, um, you know, around the corner from their house, whether it be at recreation centers or other community centers. So there, it's really a theme around sports, but community, as you talk about, talk about these dream fields, what are they like? Yeah, so it's funny you segue there because those are some of the locations where we deliver our Dodgers RBI program and a lot of these services that I talked about. So we built 51 Dodgers dream fields um, and it's, it's, it's insane. Um, we, we, uh, I marvel at them because they are mini Dodger stadiums in, you know, some really tough neighborhoods throughout Los Angeles. Um, and they mirror the same fields you would see, you know, on the West side in, 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 you know, um, 
neighborhoods where people are doing financially well and where baseball teams are thriving and there's travel and club and all of that. The belief is that kids in these neighborhoods should also have the same quality fields. Um, fields make you feel good. They create a sense of community pride when you can look at something and feel something um, and see something, especially with that Dodger logo um, in your neighborhood. Uh, we build the fields in community spaces, really with the idea that um, you know, we want youth to have a quality field to play on, but they are recreational classrooms. They are places where kids are gaining these social and emotional skills that they need um, that we've discussed previously that they're going to need throughout life. So it's a place for programming, but it's such a place for growth and a place for community pride all wrapped up in one. Wow, it's a wonderful initiative. I want to talk to you now about what's plaguing youth sports. You know, the average child today spends less than three years playing a sport, quitting by age 11, most often because he says or she says the sport is just not fun anymore. ESPN partnered with the Aspen Institute for the Don't Retire Kid campaign to address youth sports declining nationwide. And the campaign includes kids saying, which is so heartbreaking to me, quote, I'm done with parents being a part of my every move when I just need time to figure it out on my own, end quote. Another kid says, I'm through with coaches who don't think I'm strong enough or even smart enough, even though my body and brain are still growing. Let's talk to that. This is really a problem in youth sports. Yeah, yeah. As soon as ESPN launched that campaign, we, we latched on pretty quickly. Um, found it to be pretty sad, you know, pretty dire that a kid that young would say, I'd like to retire from sports. The stress of sports often placed on kids by adults is pretty daunting. We have to think through at the end of the day that sports should have the fun element and fun should be what we lead with. It should be the thing that is the escape for children, regardless of their situation, the thing that they can go to and really enjoy their friends, whether those are the same friends they have in school or a separate set of friends. No one should feel like they are retiring from sport at a certain age. So there's challenges and issues of overuse. There's challenges and issues of coaches and parents, maybe just not having the right information that they need to utilize to, it, that, to talk to kids or to teach kids. You know, coaches training is a really big thing. And there's a lot of individuals that think that, you know, I'm, I can coach. I don't need any training. I don't need anybody to tell me what to say or what to do. But it, it, it probably is necessary if kids are saying things like that. In addition to that, you know, as a parent, you know, I can imagine myself, you know, when I first started watching my kids play and the over competitiveness that you have and how you're trying to live, relive your experience through your children, sometimes maybe the right things don't necessarily come out or you're not really thinking about the child um, in that moment in which they need you most. And that's, that's, that's tough for kids. That's really tough for kids. When sports is becoming so overwhelming, youth sports in the sense that children have to choose to play this or play this, it's a tough one. Yeah, it really is. And it's interesting that you talk about the coaching because you are on the board of the Positive Coaching and Alliance. And that really is kind of almost this teacher curriculum training for coaches and parents to help them understand child development, what you're, how you're talking to the child, how you're coaching the child, how you're teaching the child. And, you know, if you have not been, um, if you haven't gone to school to be a teacher, you don't necessarily know how to coach because yeah. coaches are teachers. 
And mm -hmm. so I really love the Positive Coaching Alliance. And again, you're on the board. Talk a little bit about the work that this organization does. Yeah. So Positive Coaching Alliance, very, very, very unofficially known as PCA by most, is a national organization that does not only online workshops, but also live workshops specifically aimed at creating better people and better athletes. And truly, the organization believes those two things go together. So they've had about 20, they've touched about 20 million youth um, with about 20,000 live workshops. And the workshops are just not for youth. They are for leaders and communities, parents and coaches. And so you get this full circle of teaching everybody how to be a better person and how to be a better athlete, how to be a better coach, how to be a better parent, so that ultimately the impact is on the child and their um, sports experience, right? And so when you think about it, it boils down to, if you can train somebody with, or give them the right things to say, or examples of things to say, examples of activities to maybe conduct before, during, or after practice. Parents, the things that they actually need to be talking about in that car on the way home from the game that the child may have lost or may not have played very well in. PCA covers it all. And I really do love that they're taking this from a social emotional aspect in the sense that kids really need to um, grow from sports. They need to learn from sports. They need to experience wins and losses. But how we work that out for them in their heads is very, very important. Now, the skill part, you know, whether you're bouncing a ball or hitting a bat, very important. But the PCA aspect of making sure that they have the tools that they need to feel equipped to deal with what's going to come from sport is so important. And that is for youth, that is for parents and for coaches. I often say I've been PCA um, because I think that I have changed the way I talk to kids or that I respond to their um, actions when they're on court or on a field. Because often you hear parents and you like scream because you're like, oh my gosh, I can't at <laughs> that. But again, in that moment, you don't want to blame that mom or dad. They may be reliving their experience or, you know, it's in the heat of the moment. You know, sports can be really impulsive in that way. But we do have to have some kind of um, framework around what you really should be saying so that you aren't driving them to a place where they say, hey, I want to retire at the age of 11. Yeah. And I mean, look, I think it's about education and awareness. And that's what the alliance is bringing to parents and coaches. And it, it, they come from a good place. It's just knowing how to deliver that information. And I, I do think it's important, though, to be able to teach kids. And we've talked about this before, growth mindset. And really, you know, okay, I can't do this as opposed to I can't do this yet. Um, and really learning how to understand that their fixed mindset can shape how their physical body does uh, perform. Yep. So let's talk a little bit about how important it is for growth mindset and to instill that into our children. Yeah, I think growth mindset is um, significantly important. At the end of the day, um, you can be better than you are now but there's something about practice, routine, and discipline that has to be taught in order before you have that conversation about how much better you can be, or you can be the best at this, or whether you're the best on your team or not the best on your team. The conversation really is around if you put structure, routine, and discipline and this goal towards what you're striving to be or do in your, in your head, it's achievable. 
And I think that we think about and we look at people that work really hard, like Clayton Kershaw and the Dodgers or the Michael Jordan piece right now with the documentary. I mean, that's like growth mindset on a million, right? You are looking, <laughs> right? you are really looking at someone who, first of all, he tried different things at different periods of his career, which is also part of that and very important. But he used the wins and losses to teach him various things. He used who he played with at different points in his career to teach him different things and to teach others things. But that hard work and that discipline and that routine, it cannot be replaced if you're trying to get somewhere. You know, there are so many benefits to team sports. Let's talk about that. I mean, we know that there's this advantage of the higher level of achievement, competition in sports in middle school and high school, the role of self-esteem, and really this huge role of leadership. I mean, we know from a survey, former Whole Foods CEO Walter Robb was the captain of the Stanford soccer team. Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan played rugby at Brown. And even Mark Zuckerberg was a high school fencing star. But according to a series of surveys by Ernst & Young, it's even more common for female executives to have played a sport. Betsy Bernard, former president of AT&T, Meg Whitman, and you. <laughs> I think that sports gives everybody a voice. No matter what position you play on the team you're on, you have to play a role. You are not afraid to participate, which is, I think, what leads to the teamwork piece, right? Others are counting on you, and that collaboration is really important. Um, sports creates resilience. And for me in particular, I think that that combination of voice and resilience is what makes me a leader. It makes me not afraid to speak up, not afraid to be a decision maker, and frankly, not afraid to um, win and not afraid to lose. So the idea that um, your voice becomes bigger uh, to me as a result of playing sport, your resilience is like, whoa, and you're just not afraid to try. You're not afraid to to really have that sort of winning feeling, right? And you know what to do if you lose, you really do. It's, it's practice at life and life can be being a leader and being a CEO and, and helping others kind of get to that place, right? It's pretty crazy that most people who were captains were, you know, are, you know, are now sort of CEOs of these large companies that you name, but it makes all the sense in the world, right? They started to train from when they were doing these things years and years and years ago. I push my boys to leadership positions all the time because I do believe that once you're doing that, you love it, you have this feel for it, you urge for it, you kind of want it, um, and it will carry you through the rest of your life. But I, I definitely feel like uh, sports gives everybody this voice and that voice really puts you in a different category. Um, it makes you stand up a little taller. It makes you talk a little louder. Um, it gives you a certain level of confidence um, that really can help you in your career. I want to just go back to you because I want to learn something from you. When you said that you push your boys into leadership roles, is it a gentle nudge? Is it, no, you need to sign up? What? How? How, as a parent, can you urge your child in the right way toward a leadership role without pushing it on so hard that it's not really in their realm. 
Yeah, I have found that I have to give them lots of options. So lots of leadership options. The reality is there's just some things that I'm going to throw out there that they're just going to not want to do. It just doesn't make sense. But if I give them options and I give them options, especially to do the, to have those roles and the things they love, sports being one of them, they're intrigued. They're like, oh, I can what? I can do what? And if you have children that you see leadership in, and you say, hey, you did this thing on the field today. Hence, I feel like you should go out for captain or you should do this. I think they need examples of what that looks like. Leadership doesn't have to be as official as um, we as parents sometimes make it, right? It can be very simple and it can be something that inherently a child is already doing. So I often use examples of what I think my kids are already doing to say, you'd be good at that. So you're already you know, doing X, Y, and Z in school. And yes, there's a position open for student government. Like it, it has like most of what you already do. You should think about that. You're already a leader on the field and, you know, the loudest voice and you're helping your teammates in these ways. Wow. Sounds like captain. Um, so I think I'm usually sort of like suggestive. Um, forcing doesn't work. Forcing to me is like parents sort of wasting time, money, and um, they're not going to do that well because they don't want to do it. I love that. Thank you for that. So yeah. let's talk about Dodger baseball. I mean, what wow. is going on? We know there's some new efforts to bring the season back to us maybe soon. Yeah, we don't know um, officially quite yet, but I know that Major League Baseball is working through various scenarios. And Commissioner Manfred has made it pretty clear that he'd love for baseball to happen this season and that between himself and the players association, they're going to do something to make that happen. So we're all sort of really eager, um, losing sleep right now, waiting for announcements. Baseball is such the fabric of our country. And when you really think about Los Angeles in particular, the team means so much to the fans here. And just given everything that we're in the middle of, how amazing would it be to have some baseball now, even if it means that we're solely watching on TV? And, and I think it, if we started to see it on TV, it just would help us so much more getting through this pandemic, because as you said, it really is a fabric of this country and, uh, and who we are as yes. a yes. country. Yeah. When you think about this time of year, something's for sure missing, absolutely missing. And um, sports does so much for individuals in general, right? Fans are using it for various reasons, right? Whether it's your escape, you know, your, your thing that you do for fun, your mental thing. I mean, sports is a networking thing for many. I mean, there's a lot in there. There's just a lot. And I think that it, it's tough right now not having any at all. The last thing I want to ask you is about what the Dodgers Foundation is doing for people right now during the pandemic. I know you're doing a lot of work. Yeah. You know what? We launched a um, relief effort about six weeks ago now, really focused on those who are experiencing homelessness, uh, food insecurity, lack of basic necessities, um, those on the front line, so healthcare workers who needed our support. We partnered with a lot of the Dodger team sponsors, as well as with iHeartMedia. And what we've done is really pulled together a campaign to, one, raise money to continue to do what we're doing as far as giving the money right back to organizations like My Friends Race, like the LA Food Bank, like the Mayor's Fund that are addressing a lot of the needs that I talked about. While at the same time, we've done um, more than $100,000 in in-kind donations to 
organizations like the Dream Center, who've been doing the grab and goes, LAUSD, who's been doing the grab and goes. We obviously work, as we talked about in this interview, very closely with the city of LA's recreation centers. And many of those have been transitioned into homeless shelters. And so we've been able to donate towels there. We've also done um, meals and, and toys for the child care centers that have been set up there for essential workers. And then we've purchased groceries for families in Watts, um, really just surprised some families with some groceries. We've helped out uh, military families and veterans during this time as well. It, it, it goes on and on and on. The, the reality is we're not done. We just did, just did an activation this past Saturday with the YMCA in Southeast LA, focused on you know really being able to give some joy to families who came through a drive-through. And over the next couple of weeks, we've got some other things that are happening. So relief is interesting right now, right? Because there's a lot of people in need. There's a lot of people suffering. The suffering's not going to go away because all of a sudden we all come out of our houses. So we're really strategically thinking about how over the next couple of weeks and the next couple of months this continues. So we plan to issue more grants. We plan to do more in-kind donations and, and continue to help those who really need us during this time. Your work really is amazing and it's helping so many people. Do you have any advice to just the average baseball fan out there listening, how they might be able to help? So we actually, you know, via our fund, um, feel like partnering with the Dodgers Foundation obviously is tremendously helpful. So folks can text the relief to 41623 if they're interested in in supporting that way. But on the other side, I would say, you know, and that 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 is you can contribute any amount of money. It doesn't matter if it's five dollars, two dollars, it just doesn't matter. Whatever makes you feel good and whatever's possible, because we understand that everyone's going through tough times right now. But also alternatively, while we all need to stay safe while doing it, there are opportunities to volunteer virtually. There are opportunities to volunteer in person to help so many that are going through a really tough time. So whether it's clearly, you know, working with an organization to deliver a meal, especially to the to the, those healthcare workers who are really on the front lines during this time, you know, or participating in some of these grab and goes or the food bank situation and things like that. I think there's areas for people to volunteer. And then there is something new evolving that is virtual volunteering. So maybe there is something you can do from your home that would be helpful. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for this conversation. It is always so much fun to talk to you. You have helped so many people, all of your ideas, all of your innovation, and it's really an honor to have you here on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you, Donna. Thanks for having me. This is always fun. It's always great talking to you. Thanks. To wrap up, there are so many benefits to sports. It's obvious, you know, you build leadership, you build critical thinking, and in a time that we're in right now, how important is leadership? So think about sports for your kids. Thanks for listening, everyone, and please download and subscribe to Kids Under Construction. You can find me on Instagram at Donna Tatro. We will get through this together. Until next time.